0: Welcome back to It Doesn't Look Good. I'm Tim and I'll be your host today. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm so excited to introduce you to my good friend Jennifer. She's one of the hardest working people I know and she's also one of the kindest people I know. Everyone that knows her agrees that she's a blessing to everyone she comes into contact with. Over the next two weeks we're going to hear how she trusted God and his plan for her life over and over again, even when she wasn't sure exactly what that plan looked like. So without further ado, here's part one of the two-part episode.
1: To get into the story of kind of my life and the reason why I feel like I have so much hope in the things that have happened in my life is because I feel so uh, purposeful in the fact that God whispered into my heart that he would make a way and a purpose for me even when I didn't feel like I had one and just the fact that you have asked me to do this and the opportunity for people to hear my heart and to hear the hope that can come from some of the most desperate situations that we face is really why I live my life the way that I do and it is the biggest blessing that I could ever have because whenever these things happen, it makes me so acutely aware that we are here for a reason. And I want to live that reason out and I want to have that purpose in my life. And so thank you.
0: I, we haven't known each other just for too long yeah. and we probably should have since Caitlin was in your D group way back in 20 or 2008, even yeah. I feel like. But I didn't meet you until just the last couple of years through Charles, I just wanted to give you encouragement on the front end and just say that all of the things that you just said, like, it is very visible to everyone around you. Thank so you. just know that going into everything we're about to talk about, yeah. that the Lord is absolutely using you and that His hand is on you and that He is going to use you even moving forward in your story and all of that. So Thank I'll let you get started and then we can kind of go from there.
1: Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. I'm gonna start my story a little bit before the climax of the situation, right? That gives you the reason why I am where I am today. And so in uh, 2015, I owned, co-owned an event planning business with my best friend. And we were busy uh, doing events, corporate events, personal events, all kinds of things in central Arkansas we had the opportunity multiple times to travel to other states and assist with events or do events there and it was it was going really well we had publications and things in arkansas bride there were bridal shows that we were involved in and just all these other things that were manifesting out of that one day i i was married at the time and before that to pre kind of pre that i was in campus ministry for about seven and a half years and so i had is made, that
0: crew stumo uh, kai alpha uh, kai alpha okay. uh-huh.
1: so i was in kai alpha for about seven and a half years mm-hmm. took the opportunity to uh, really felt like god was calling to start this business had had this business for about three three and a half years at this point
0: um, how long had you been married
1: i got married in 2010 January 2nd in 2010. So by this point, I'd been married about five, no, six and a half years. Okay. So six and a half years about this point. And I woke up one day and Robert, my husband, said, you know, I've really been thinking about moving. And my parents had given us some opportunities. We had a lot of debt at that point. There was some medical debt from him. As he,
0: young couples do. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> young and with student loans and all mm-hmm. of these things. Actually, a year after we got married, Robert had had two heart attacks as well. Oh, wow. And so we braved through that, but with that came a lot of medical debt. Yeah. So we were sitting in a place where we were trying to start this life and make a life for ourselves that we we had dreamed of but with the baggage of that debt coming along. And so my grandparents had passed away a little bit before that. My parents had gone and bought their house and their estate in South Texas and they didn't live there, but my dad had future dreams of retiring there. And so he would always mention to Robert, you know, if y'all would move here, y'all could save and pay off all this debt and get a fresh start and do all these things. And I was I was pretty against it. I was pretty, if you know me, you you know, were against I'm, it. I know. If you know me, I'm pretty vocal whenever yeah. I feel something. <laughs> I can't keep things in very well. And I'm definitely an external communicator. So I was pretty vocal every time my dad would talk about it. And I would be like, You should just go talk to Robert about that. Yeah. Um and But so, Robert
0: was kind of on board.
1: He was on board. He interesting. He felt the weight, I think, of wanting to get ahead, of seeing and believing in me, believing in my business, believing in the things that I wanted to do and had dreamed of. And I think he felt the weight of us carrying this debt with us and trying to do these things was impossible. And so to take the opportunity to move there and give ourselves a fresh start long term. And so okay. I didn't know this at the time, but he had started applying for jobs there.
0: Oh wow. Um,
1: and just to see what was out there. Yeah. Right. To see what was going on. And he had gotten Hey,
0: maybe if I get a job <laughs> offer. Then, <laughs> she'll, then, then she'll, she'll be, be on happy board. about yeah. it.
1: Exactly, exactly. It. So he was definitely definitely sly about it. So he would mention it, you know, and I'm like, you know, I'm gonna pray about that. I'll pray about it. Yeah. And I had it in the back of my mind, but I think that I am so relational, and I had lived here for so long. I moved yeah. here in 2001 to go to college. I went to CBC, got a degree in Christian counseling, sure. um, was in Chiapha and campus ministry for so long that I had a pretty good base of a community.
0: How did you guys meet? Did y'all meet through campus ministry? We
1: didn't. So before I was in campus ministry, I had worked in all through college at Centennial Bank. And okay. then when I graduated college... I went and worked for Metropolitan National Bank, which is actually, Charles worked there for a long time with me.
0: I didn't even know that. Yeah,
1: and Robert was a customer. At that time, I'd wanted to go into nonprofit, but there, you know, are are not very many nonprofit jobs, as you know.
0: There are not.
1: And so, I was kind of like, "Well, I've got to pay my bills, so let's bridge the gap." Yeah. So I went into I went in banking. I was assistant manager for a while at a branch that Metropolitan had, and was doing kayoff on the side. I felt like that God was calling me to just really died to my myself and my ability to provide for myself and give him those reins and give him the opportunity to provide for me through campus ministry. Sure. So I did that and the last week that I was working was my first date with Robert. The day I turned in my resignation at the bank to go into campus ministry was the day that he asked me out oh, and okay. he didn't know that at the time. Yeah. He thought I had left the bank but he came into this different branch and he saw me and he's told his mom and he was like she didn't leave and so he asked me out and the day that was my last day working at the bank was when we went on our first date and so that's kind of how we met and through that you know i was very against dating during this season of my life because i was really busy and i was about to start this new endeavor with campus ministry and i thought you know it's going to be hard to find somebody that wants to love the lord the way that i want to love him and live my life the way that i want to live and going to take a special person and I would always tell him I was like you know if you're not up for this you just need to go now and (laughs) and he was like I'm fine (laughs) let's keep going you know and so through that we eventually got married and lived in that way and all the all of those things so so.
0: earlier you said well I'll pray about that you told him Mm -hmm. So, I, just out of curiosity, was he prayed? Like, did he pray? Would see a believer? Were you guys praying together through things, or was that kind of something that you were doing on your own? Or tell me about him a little bit.
1: So, absolutely, he was praying about it. He grew up, and his parents got divorced when he was younger. His mom remarried. His mom became a Methodist pastor. His stepdad was a Methodist pastor. He grew up being a preacher's kid his whole life, pretty much from the age of five or six on. I I think that's accurate he loved the Lord he was not somebody that was vocal about it he wasn't somebody that would stand on a pedestal and scream out you know his beliefs in the Lord but he lived the principles of Jesus through his life yeah and that is one thing that's one of the reasons why I fell in love with him so much he had fruit Absolutely. His life was fruit of that, and he had been through a lot of hard things in life. His brother had passed away. His his stepdad, who was the pastor that I just mentioned, passed away. He was living with a lot of grief, but he continued to love people so well and always treat them with respect and value. So he was praying about it as well sure he was applying for these jobs that he saw he said you know what i think i'm gonna go ahead and i'm gonna go and stay there for a couple of months and at this time it was our busiest season which is fall arkansas is beautiful yeah and so we're
0: people like to get married in the fall
1: exactly so we're going 90 to nothing with this business and i was like there's no way that i can stop right now So he went and moved there. He got a job with a minor league baseball team. Oh, wow. Yes, such a great boss, great great community there with that company. And he was working with them, helping them with their marketing, helping them with their sales efforts. Okay. So he was really pleased with that. We had decided collectively that I would move, I would go ahead and finish everything that we had on the books for that year, and that I would move the beginning of the next year, which would be 2016. So I packed up our house that was, we were renting this house in downtown Conway. Really adorable. I loved it. I had all of my friends help me load up a U-Haul. My best friend who owned this event planning business with me, Ricky and I, drove a U-Haul to South Texas on January 2nd, which was actually my wedding anniversary.
0: Oh man.
1: And we moved into this house. And happy anniversary. Yay. <laughs> I wasn't too happy about it at, at the, that time. Yeah. yeah. And I. It, it
0: sounds like you had some apprehension there.
1: Yeah, I did. I was, I think in that moment, I felt like I was leaving my community and this life that I had built for myself and for us and going into a place that I didn't like. I didn't know, and I didn't want to be there. My grandparents had lived there my whole life, and I I had some not-so-great memories of that place just because of of a little bit of strain that was going on between my grandparents and myself and my family. And so it wasn't necessarily a rosy place for me to move to. Also, I had always dreamed of living in one place, having this community, loving on people, um, and I was about to leave all of that yeah. for something that I didn't know. Naturally, I'm a planner, obviously, <laughs> and there was no plan. Yeah. So as we moved there, he had gotten a job with this minor league baseball team. I was going back and forth from central Arkansas to south Texas in order to finish up events or to do some events. There were some lingering ones that we had in 2016. And he had gotten a secondary job that was part-time with a law firm this law firm had a company called legal monkeys where they would go and team up with law firms that were doing class action lawsuits and they would go and get all of the documentation and medical information for all of these people from hospitals all over the u.s and then help these legal teams with all that documentation as you can imagine class action lawsuits are huge and
0: right. just piles and piles and ex- piles of paperwork
1: exactly so they outsourced that work to this company I see uh-huh. and Robert did a lot of a lot of work with these with these different companies different medical professionals and things like that and so as I moved there eventually like full full-time which would have probably been in the spring of 2016 I realized I don't have anything to do. <laughs> Yeah. And I got bored very quickly. I was interested in maybe starting up my event planning business in South Arkansas mm-hmm. or South Texas. Sorry, but it just didn't feel right. Something didn't feel right. Yeah. And uh, I didn't have a very good attitude. Yeah. There are those times, you know, in your marriage where you you don't necessarily like what's going on, but you love the person that you're around. But they look a little bit different to you because you're not getting what you want. Yeah. You know? And I think that that was what was going on. I was immature. I yeah. didn't know how to be married in a healthy way and support a spouse. I wanted so badly to support him and be there for him. But it was a learning process to learn how to do that and not get my way. Yeah. I had to die to myself so that I could live for us. Yeah. And I think there's a time that every marriage goes through that. Sure. It's really a part, I think, of the two becoming one. Yeah. And so as we do that, or as we were doing that, I started to think, I'm going to get a job, too, at this Legal Monkeys, and I'll see what I can do.
0: Yeah. While, while this is going on, just to take a, a break for a second, and I want to explore, you know, kind of that mindset that you might have been in and just kind of the feelings that surrounded that. Were you... And him communicate, like, did you continue to communicate well with one another? Is that something that I know personally, you know, I've been married as well. And yeah. so it's, I, I feel like those were the times that communication tends to drop drastically. So it's almost like a, a catch 22 has that should be the time that you communicate more yep. so you can kind of get out of that mm-hmm. but just more often than not it seems like communication failure is going to happen it's going to yes. when when you're both frustrated so if you don't mind you know would you mind you know kind of telling me about that side of it
1: so i think that we were communicating in a minimal way. I think that body language and actions, he knew I was frustrated, probably vocally too, just because like I said earlier, I can't really keep things in. But he was never communicating to me, how do we fix this? What do we do? How can we make you at home here? But, beknownst to me, he was going and putting action to that so he had talked to his boss at the baseball company he had talked to his boss at the legal firm and was saying hey are there things jennifer could do because he knew he knew me and he supported yeah. me and he knew as soon as i found a community I would fall in love with it yeah he knew that that's what i was missing not necessarily the space that we were in sure and so he actually encouraged me some of the girls at this legal firm had started a bible study and he encouraged me to get involved in this bible study so that i could know and you know be relational with these girls and so i did and it didn't click right at first but the longer that i pressed in the more that i became a part of that community and felt at home I had applied for job after job after job after job and I laugh now because I see the plan that God was creating but in in the in the battle of it I thought what is wrong with me I'm skilled I've been doing a lot of things (laughs) you know what is wrong yeah. But I look back now, and I just see how God knitted such a perfect plan, and in so many ways, if we will lean in and trust His plan, He knows so much better than we do. And so, as as we were going, I'd started working for this legal firm because I hated being home by myself. Yeah. And so we had had lunch together. This was in December. We'd had lunch together that day, and we got to um, eat lunch pretty regularly together, which was really nice, Yeah, because when you're in your campus ministry, there's not a lot of time at home. When you're in event planning, you don't have a lot of nights and weekends. You're always going and always busy, and there's always the next thing to get to, Yeah, especially when you have a really large community. And... What I had realized in this time was our marriage was starved for getting to be together, getting to grow together, because we were always doing all these other things for everybody else.
0: How long did you say you guys had been married at this point? At
1: this point, we had been married a little over seven years. Okay. Yeah. So we were kind of in in that range of like, man... There's some, something's going on, but we had never spent that much time together in our whole married life and dating life. Yeah. And so. I think
0: that's also something that every couple, married couple for sure. Yeah. Has a season of, you know, Mm -hmm. you were talking about that earlier because it's just one of those things where life is busy and you tend to, even if you're doing those things together, Mm -hmm. like you're still going, 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 and you just eventually have to take a minute and go okay, we're just going to kick back on the couch and watch a TV show and eat some popcorn and just be together and not. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times, well, I can remember specifically having to cut things out and just go, this is not the priority right now right now the priority needs to be the two of us Mm -hmm. and so it's so interesting to hear that from obviously a woman's perspective and just hearing that you know every couple goes through that because you know I feel like that could be one of those things where it seems like oh this is just us and then you realize this is everybody
1: yes I mean, it is, everybody. Yeah. I would even used to have girls in my small group, you know, that would be married and it was hard to navigate. And you know, I talk to I talk to women now and it's hard for it's hard for them to navigate too. It's just something that that we all face. And so in the moment, I was so worried about not having this community that I wanted and I did not take the opportunity to press into the person that loved me most. And so we started eating lunch together. We started going on dates on the weekends. We started traveling and going. We lived pretty close to Houston or we lived pretty close to these different areas. And we would go to these spots and get to experience life together which was really so special and so sweet. So this day we were eat lunch together in the break room December 7th and we had the opportunity to go eat with our other friends but we didn't we decided we were gonna eat together and it was really a sweet time. I remember we just got to talk about all these things that were going on. It was about to be the holidays. My family had just been there for Thanksgiving at our house and that weekend we the weekend before this was a monday we had our company christmas party we had gone during Christmas time, we always had these these specific dates that we would go on. So every year we would make a Christmas ornament together at a painted pottery place. And then we would, one date we would go Christmas shopping for all our family. We would do all these different uh, little things, cocoa and lights and all it's this so stuff. So fun. Yes. And so my mom, I remember at Thanksgiving, was saying to Robert, why are y'all going already to do these ornaments? You know? And he was like, She wants to do this. We're gonna do this. It's important that we make time. Yeah. And so we had just done all of that. And he was gearing up for this big meeting at work after lunch on that Monday. And he wasn't feeling so great. I remember him waking up that morning and and he was just like, Man. He was in the bathroom, not feeling great. And I thought, this is really strange. And he was like, I have to go. I I have this big meeting.
0: I know you said earlier that he had a heart attack, two of them, right? Mm -hmm. In the first year of your marriage. Uh And so now this is seven years later. Six years. Six six years later. Uh And he wakes up and you said he's not feeling great. Is that, were you concerned about that at all? Like did you, did that, all of those feelings and fears and all of that come creeping back or rushing back, so to speak?
1: I don't think that those specific things did because I had kind of put that out of my mind. I thought he had thrown up that morning Mm -hmm. and I thought, well, maybe he has a stomach bug. Yeah. Or maybe there's some type of virus going around. I know it's, like, getting to be fall and winter. In South Texas, there's a lot of cedar trees. And so mm-hmm. cedar fever is a big thing with, like, allergies and all of this, oh. like, mucus and stuff. Yeah. And so I thought, well, maybe it's this. I'll get a Claritin. I'll get this. We'll, we'll see what's going on. So it never really entered my brain, honestly. Yeah. And so he powered through. And he went to lunch. At lunch, he said he was feeling a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, we, he left lunch a little bit early to go to prepare for his meeting. And next thing I know, I went back to work, and I had an employee, a co-worker of ours, come and rush and get me and said, Robert's passed out. I need you to come right now. And so I got up and our office was three stories. It was in one building that was three stories in a basement in the other. Robert worked in the basement with a lot of other people and I was on the third floor. And so I rushed down the stories and went in the other building, went down to the basement, couldn't find him anywhere. And then they finally said, oh, he's in this meeting. So he was mid-meeting, he passed out in the meeting and he was on the floor. By the time I got there, it was on the second floor of the building I was already in. His boss and my boss were in there. The EMTs were already in there, and they were. He was on the floor. As he was on the floor, I just went in there and I was trying to talk to him. He was he was a little bit lucid um, and could understand, but he was going in and out of consciousness. At one point. He had looked up at me and he was just like, Oh, there you are. And then he went out of consciousness. They had to then get the paddles. I don't really know what you call them. AED? Yeah, yeah. I should know that. I'm in construction <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they got those. They shocked him and they were having a really difficult time, like keeping him, keeping his heart in rhythm. So the one thing that he was a larger guy. And so the one thing that they then thought, you know, while he is stable, we need to get him on this gurney and we need to get him down these stairs into the ambulance and we need to get to the hospital. And so at this point, when they got him on the gurney, they asked me to go get our stuff and to meet them at the hospital so i then i went and gathered all my stuff we have we had a great community of people that worked with us there and my boss came in and said hey i don't really feel comfortable you driving can i drive your car for you and then we'll leave it there so that you'll have a vehicle and somebody else will come and pick me up and i was like yes absolutely that sounds great so to know me whenever we have emergency situations in life i kick into assess the situation mode Mm -hmm. and okay this is what we need to do like i'm very decisive i'm very like let's deal with the situation feelings can come later let's let's plan this and so that's what kicked in right and so we get to we're driving to the hospital we get there and i remember so vividly there was this man standing outside of the hospital and i don't know to this day why this was such an impactful moment for me but this man was standing outside the hospital and he was homeless and i think he was on some type of drugs or narcotics and he just he looked so sad and he almost looked looked evil you know have you ever been around somebody or people and you just feel this evilness or this like sorrow come over you
0: yeah not i mean i don't know if i've ever just felt an evilness but absolutely sorrow or grief and like you can just see it on people
1: and that's what i saw in this man and i remember turning to my boss and saying do you see that man this is like worrying me kind of almost like it, it brought me off of the situation. And, and basically the way that I look at it gave my mind a rest to regroup.
0: Yeah.
1: And we then rush into the emergency room. And as soon as we get into the emergency room, there are nurses and doctors and a lot of medical professionals.
0: So at this point you're kind of out of planning mode
1: I think I was thinking about that man. Yeah. And I was less in take control plan mode sure. and just kind of walking into the emergency room.
0: I, I know about the plan mode. It's just this task mode that you get in. And not not you specifically, but just like People. anybody in general, but mm-hmm. especially planners. Yes. It, and it's just um, almost... I, well, I'm curious for you, if you feel like it's kind of a defense mechanism for dealing with difficult situations, like Absolutely. you automatically go, let's figure out the best way to deal with this. And then your emotions kind of take a back seat to that. So in this moment, do you feel like, Hey, maybe this is, I'm planning because I'm, this is a very emotional, difficult thing. And you're kind of shielding yourself from that.
1: Absolutely, I think that that is a coping mechanism that I use to this day. I'm a big stuffer, so yeah. I will stuff those feelings down to press forward to the goal that I have, in order to get through something and not feel. Because yeah. in the same in the same respect, I feel very deeply. Yeah, I love people very hard. I want to help people mm-hmm. a lot. Like all of those things, I really very easily like i want to like feel those things very deeply so that i can empathize and sympathize with people sure. and so in those moments i literally suffocate that feeling out so that i can deal with in, a, in an accurate way what's in front of me yeah and so i get into this hospital hallway emergency room hallway and i have all these doctors coming at me i round the corner to his room and right. there's a whole host of people on him putting IVs in, putting cords in. He's mid-heart attack at this point. Oh, wow. So he is mid having, having a heart attack at this point. And the doctor comes up to me and says, I need you to sign all this documentation before we take him back. I didn't know what the documentation was. I felt very inadequate at this point and I wanted them to explain it to me.
0: Right, Um, as a planner.
1: As a planner, yeah, (laughs) because I'm not putting my name on anything, right? Right. And so they were, um, they're like, we don't have time. We need to get in there to do an an angiogram while he is mid heart attack so we can see what's going on and how we can fix it. Mm -hmm. So I, I signed the papers that I need to sign and give him the um, insurance information. And I'm looking at him, and as I'm signing him, we're walking down the hallway, and they're pushing him on a bed, a hospital bed. So he leaned over, we're walking down the hall, doctors, nurses, everyone. I'm walking with them as they take him back to the OR. And he looks at me, and I'm trying to take his glasses off of him so that I could keep them. And he said, um... Don't lose my glasses. Uh, make sure you keep those. And I was like, you're really talking to me about glasses right now? I mean, we're walking down to you having like this massive surgery. Yeah. And I said, I have your glasses. Everything will be fine. I love you very much. Don't worry about this. We're going to figure out what we need to do going forward as soon as you come out. Yeah. So I remember him going back in and uh, me just saying, I love you. I'm proud of you. You know, you're going to be just fine. And he went back. I went into a waiting room, a cardiac waiting room. I was in there by myself. It was a long, narrow hallway. And at this point, I was sitting in there really just thinking, okay, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? And Just praying, okay, Lord, tomorrow will you help us get started on fixing or picking up all the pieces of this situation? Our minds had been so focused on paying off all our debt that I was thinking, like my brain went straight to, okay, we're just going to start over and we're going to pay off all this. Yeah, Yeah, and it'll be fine. Never in my mind did I ever think anything would go wrong because we'd been through this. We yeah. had already experienced this. Yeah. And on the other side of this, I knew what to expect. Yeah. but So
0: there was no fear of what could happen to him. It was all thoughts about, okay, once this is over and we're out of this hospital, we need help with what comes next. Mm-hmm. There was just nothing, like there was no fear at all. You didn't even think about the possibility of death or anything else. Yeah,
1: no. And, and I... A part of me thinks our brains shield us from certain things, Sure, you know, Um, especially
0: in the hospital waiting rooms. Absolutely. Um, I can attest to that. There are definitely things that you think about in a a hospital waiting room that have nothing to do with what's going on with the situation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you have friends present in those waiting rooms and the, the conversations that you have typically tend to skew towards anything and everything but what's going on right there yeah yeah but in in my situation might have been a little different since you weren't thinking what could happen but always in the back of my mind I felt like what could happen on a surgery table or is this going to be enough and thoughts like that so a waiting room in a hospital is a it's a a place that I feel like is almost in another dimension yeah like it just a limbo exactly Mm -hmm. that's a perfect way to put it because you can come out and it could have gone either way yeah and when you're in there you're trying not to think about what's going on out of there Mm -hmm. and it's time is weird in there yeah and and it almost stands still yeah it really does but moves so quickly at the same time and while you're waiting for those phone calls and you look back at the end of the day and Like, we literally were in this room the entire day and have done nothing. Yeah. And so it's, I I know that well, and I'm sure there are a lot of people out there that do too.
1: Absolutely. I almost feel like, you know, what a great ministry would it be for, for there to be people in those waiting rooms to just love on people that are there. That's why I think uh, medical professionals, they have a hard job anyway, Mm -hmm. but they're witnessing people in their worst state.
0: Yeah the and, deepest valleys.
1: Mhm. Their deepest valleys. And and so so I'm in this waiting room by myself, a place I never thought I would be by myself, but also I'm in a situation that I didn't think I'd be in. I'm 33 at this time. Yeah, I was going to
0: say especially in your 30s. Yeah,
1: I'm 33, Robert's 37. And we're just starting our life, you know. Mm-hmm. So I'm there and I I think, okay, I, I need to call my parents. I need to let his parent I need to let these people know. Yeah. So I call my parents. I call his dad. His dad was actually at their company Christmas party. Oh man. Uh, yes. Yeah, so he went to the kitchen and I just said, Hey, you know, we, we don't know what's going on. This is we know he's having a heart attack and they're trying to go fix it. I'll keep you updated as we know. And so I left it at that. I didn't call his mom because I know that his mom and he have very close relationship. So I was genuinely worried that she would worry unnecessarily.
0: Thanks again for taking time to listen to part one of Jennifer's story. Make sure to tune in next week to listen to part two. And thanks to Jennifer for taking the time to sit down with me to tell it. We'll see you guys next week. Just in case you weren't aware, It Doesn't Look Good is sponsored entirely by Hope Against Hope. If you haven't taken the time to check out our website yet, you can do that at hopeagainsthope.com. And please consider making a tax-deductible donation while you're there. Every dollar donated goes directly to people that have life-threatening illnesses and to make sure we can continue to provide that much-needed financial relief. Thanks.